Hey, Travis Rogers here. When you're not listening to me on the Lakers pre- and post-game shows, tune in to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, where she goes beyond the play and focuses on athletes, fans, and the biggest events that inspire and shape our community. Listen to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, Sundays, 5 to 6 a.m. ESPN LA 710. Dr. Ken Best is a chiropractor and applied kinesiologist. Dr. Best has worked with the fastest woman alive, NFL players, professional basketball players, the national cycling team, and worked on the top cyclists at the Olympic trials. He has also worked with many dancers and choreographers on So You Think You Can Dance and celebrities from Dancing with the Stars. He has worked with the top-ranked MMM fighters for championship fights. Dr. Best shows athletes how subconscious beliefs can affect their performance and injuries. He has successfully worked with head injuries and post-concussion syndrome using muscle testing and cold laser therapy. He shows athletes how to facilitate the nervous system to abolish weak muscles that can not only help injuries heal faster but prevent injuries. Pain is a late sign of imbalance in the body. Dr. Best works fitness goals by using his keto diet program in conjunction with removing inflammatory foods and healing the leaky gut syndrome. Now, we're going to dive deep into Dr. Ken Best, and uh, he's also going to talk about his book, 11 Best Ways to Face Life's Challenges. You're going to hear all about this. It's a guide to discovering and changing the limiting beliefs that block you from creating the life you want. I'm excited about this, and I hope you are as well. For more information on Dr. Best, you can go to drkenbest.com. That's drkenbest.com. ESPN LA 710. Welcome to The Experience here on ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack. Thank you so much for joining me. Today in studio, I'm talking with the fabulous Dr. Ken Best. He is a chiropractor and also applied kinesiologist. There you go. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Nice to see you. Nice to see you and have you here. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell our I'm gonna tell our story of our meeting. At, right outside here, this gentleman passed out in front of me, and I was like, oh, my God, his coffee went splashing around. I'm like, are you okay? I look at him. He's white. He He's just la- lying flat on his face. It was kind of traumatic. I didn't realize how traumatic it was until I started talking to you. And you are a great healer. Can you explain what you just did for me as I was explaining to you what happened and what I saw? Sure. As I was saying, you really have a lot of compassion for people and you're also empathetic. So you kind of pick up other people's energy, whether you realize it or not. And what I was talking to you about was because of that, you need to find some sort of way to do an energy break and to have that intention to break that energy so you can separate yourself from it. And it really hit you at the core pretty quickly. I mean, it really got you a little bit emotional. You didn't realize how much that was affecting you. But it's such a simple tool, but such a great tool um, to be able to break that energy, to allow people to be on their path, because everybody's growth is different. And what's going on, 
it's good that you have that compassion, but you don't want to carry that around with you all day long. That So that energy break for you was a good realization of being able to have compassion for somebody, but other also keep your energy separate, which you need to do for your own personal health and your own personal growth. Yeah. And all this week, I've been saying that to myself. I'm like, how can I do this? And then voila, here you are. <laughs> so the universe sends what you ask for. It's yes. interesting how quickly it happens. Yes, absolutely. I was trying to get a breathing technique. I was like, oh, so I had to heal myself holistically of cancer last year. And one of the things is uh, like opening the five gates for detoxification of the body. And one of those is uh, through the breath. You release toxins as you breathe and stuff like that. So I was like, I need to come up with some sort of breathing technique. And as I said this, like my next patient who walked in, she goes, hey, you want to do this breathing technique with me? Wow. It was crazy. Wow. And it was great. It was a great technique. And I, I love doing it. It's called a Wim Hof method, which I you may have heard of. It's pretty popular right now. Uh, I have not heard of it, uh-huh. but um, I'll I'll look into it. <laughs> Do you talk about it in your books? No, because it's something I just learned uh, within the last maybe six months. Okay, but it's uh, he has like the longest underwater ice swim, oh. and he gets control of his autonomic nervous system. And to some degree, I can also do that through meditation and stuff. Um, I I can get my teeth drilled without Novocaine. I've had a root canal done without Novocaine. So it's like getting into that headspace where I can control and moderate how my body responds to pain. Mm-hmm. You work with NFL players, uh, basketball players, all sorts of athletes, and just dancers and all of that, Who people who have experienced a lot of physical pain as well. Talk about your experience growing up and what led you on this journey. Well, when I was 16, I I played football, um, judo, wrestling, and I had a series of falls that all happened at the same time within two or three days in my paper route (laughs) and wrestling and judo. And one morning I couldn't get out of bed. So they took me to the orthopedic surgeon, found out I, I had a bilateral fracture of my pars interarticularis, which is the back part of the lumbar spine. So the front and the back actually broke apart. Wow. So I could either have a spinal fusion and a body cast for six months with a 50-50 chance of getting better or worse or do nothing. So the idea of getting worse at that point just wasn't really doable so we did nothing. Really? And kind of the scary thing is like back then the doctors were just like, okay, well, don't arch your back and don't get kicked in the back because you could be paralyzed. And that's all they gave me. So I had to learn how to deal with pain on my own and to kind of suffer through it and just bite the bullet. Um, when I got to college, I almost had to drop out a couple times because the pain was so bad and I would just have to sleep for days. And that's how I dealt with pain. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to New York where I met a chiropractor at a street fair of all things. And the interesting thing was like, he worked on celebrities, but he was out there doing a street fair. So we talked and I started seeing him for a couple of years and he really made a huge difference in my back and my back pain and my mobility, but it never completely, you know, went away. So I took a break for a while. My back pain got really bad again. Then I saw this woman in the village 
And she did more muscle testing, so on the lines of applied kinesiology. And she made such dramatic changes in a very short period of time. Within two or three weeks, she got me to where this other chiropractor had taken me a couple years to get to. Really? So I was really fascinated with that. She taught me a couple techniques. And I was an actor in New York at the time. So when I moved to Los Angeles, uh, it was during the st actor's strike. So I was gravitated to take a deep tissue massage course. And then we started doing more uh, mind, body, spirit. I got myself trained in Reiki. It was all, healing was always very fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And learning about the body and how to control the body through the mind. Um, so it was kind of at that point that my friends were like, let's go to chiropractic school so people take this seriously. And I was like, I'm too old to go back to school. <laughs> I was I was all of 30 at the time. <laughs> but it just seemed so long since I had gone to college. I went to college, you know, at 21. So uh, I was a little nervous going back to school. So I was a little anal about school and I got straight A's. Uh, but it's because it, it was something I really loved. Mm -hmm. Then because of that woman in New York, I knew about the muscle testing. So I started studying applied kinesiology at the same time I started chiropractic school. So I took that for 300 hours. I studied with the founder of applied kinesiology, Dr. Goodhart, who's a genius. And then after school, I also assisted teaching it for seven years. So I did more than a thousand hours just in applied kinesiology. So... When you say muscle testing, can you take me through how that works? Sure. So in applied kinesiology, we use a thing called muscle testing. It's an eccentric muscle contraction, which means you put the muscle in an already contracted state and you push on it and you should be able to hold that. You, what you get a, is like a reverb in the muscle. It kind of like shakes a little bit. Mm -hmm. It locks in place. That's different than a concentric muscle contraction because when you're doing concentric muscle contraction, it's mostly a motor nerve. When you're putting it in a contracted state, now we're using the afferent and efferent nerve. So we're doing a feedback loop. And that feedback loop lets us tap into the body like a computer. Uh, uh, an applied kinesiologist is, is pretty heavily trained in muscle testing. It takes a while to really be good and efficient at muscle testing. And you have to kind of get outside your head, like not care about the results because otherwise you can start influencing it and mm. look, looking for what you expect to find. I like to be surprised. So when I'm surprised, I know I'm still not cheating, you know, because there's different ways you can influence it. But because through that muscle testing, you can tap into things like an emotional component. Like I can have you say, I love myself. And if you can't hold that arm up afterwards, your subconscious belief systems telling me you don't love yourself for some reason. Mm -hmm. Then I can start asking you questions. Well, why don't you love yourself? And then we, we get that feedback back and forth until we find that core belief that's underlying all of that. And usually it gets pretty emotional when you get down to that because mm -hmm. it's the realization, it's the crystallization of that whole idea. And through quantum physics, so quantum physics is basically matter is, is, is constantly shifting, but it's based upon the observer, the presence of the observer. Um, a good movie to kind of get in and understand that is what the bleep do we know? It was uh, 10, 15 years ago. But for me, that really explained how like theta therapy worked. 
because we're going into this brainwave frequency that my body's talking to your body. I ask you if you want to release that and you say you want to release that and we're like doing a download from the universe and then we can go back and recheck that and actually see the changes in the body and then you get to start seeing how it changes in your life. How how long does that take? (laughs) (laughs) I I can see that people want it to take place like right now, like... Well, you know, it, and it, now that I've been doing so long, it's actually pretty quick. Uh, usually, like if I'm doing a, a whole session just on like changing your belief system, say you, there's things that are sabotaging your life or let's say I get with a professional athlete, like I was working with a professional athlete who wanted to beat her own personal record, actually going for the, uh, you know, the gold, the gold. <laughs> And you want to actually test to make sure that they believe that they can do it and that they deserve it and they're worthy of it. And you can find little blocks that are going to stop them from getting to that next level because it's they're one in a billion people that get to that level. Mm-hmm. One Is in it, seven billion people. It, it, you know, people call it or I call it the eye of the tiger, right? Uh-huh. So you can block those. You, you can eliminate those blocks within athletes. Yes, Definitely. So, um, you know, like a finely tuned athlete, like nature likes patterns. We use patterns to create everything. And, and eventually we build our body into a machine as an athlete to produce a certain effect and be the fastest runner and stuff. But what happens when we want to get to that next level, beat that next world record? I mean, you're having to push the body outside its patterns. And the, and one of those things that can be affecting that is belief systems. So we want to look at that to see if that's affecting the patterns and then see what other things are, are getting in the way of, of breaking those patterns. Um, one thing that happens with an athlete is so everybody's basically geared to be in what we call a cross crawl pattern. So we move the opposite arm, arm together when we walk mm-hmm. or run. A homolateral crawl is where the body is strong, moving the right arm and the right leg together or vice versa. So it's kind of like walking funny, you know? Mm-hmm. So the body switches into that mode for a little while in an in a extreme athlete. And that's when you actually know they're getting to the point where they're, they're trying to reconfigure their body to break a pattern to get to a new level. Mm. So we don't take them out of that. We just support them through it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they end up back in the cross crawl because that's where they're actually the strongest. Mm-hmm. But they're actually doing something to upset their pattern so they can take that next level. Right. Oh, that's very, very interesting. So uh, another gentleman came on the show who has face blindness. So all he sees is like tendons and ligaments. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, so he can see what muscles aren't triggering Uh and he can go okay move your hand this way and it can make engage a certain muscle right or if he sees like a baseball player he can throwing he can say oh yeah this muscle is going to snap right if they keep doing it that way and then he can like adjust it to where if he only lowered his elbow a little bit and threw it, that muscle will be fine. Is that what you do? So like in the shoulder girdle, there's 17 muscles in there and they all have to work into concert with each other to and in proper timing. So 
in more advanced muscle testing, which we have to get into when you're doing like an Olympic athlete, um, you're testing a lot of different components. Not so, so we start off with just testing muscles, what we call in the clear, just in different positional things. So we're putting the muscle at the its most direct uh, force of action. Then we do reciprocal muscle inhibition. So like I'll, I might contract the muscle in the back and then try to test the muscle in the front to see if that throws it off. Oh. So we can go through like a whole baseball throw and look at what other components might be shutting them off, even though in the clear, everything's strong. Mm-hmm. So that's that's basically kind of the same thing what you're talking about, but using muscle testing to get into that. So, so you teach people, you teach athletes to uh, find what their belief systems are, find what is uh, stopping them from going forward and taking on a new path for excellence. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) But yeah, we, we look at the triad of health. So it's all, it's all physical, chemical, emotional. So if nutritionally they don't have enough potassium, that, that athlete's going to cramp in the middle of their run. If, if they don't believe it, they might not get to that level if they have things shut off, they can't get to that level. So we're looking at putting all three things together, not just not just the emotional aspect. Okay, okay. So uh, can you give me an example of maybe uh, a nutritional factor that may be hurting, like, in, for instance, your stomach, but it's actually something else that, or m- your back may be hurting, but, or wait a second, your stomach is hurting, but it, if you get your nutrition right, you it's actually your back that was hurting. Am I saying that properly? Um, what you're describing? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll talk about it in reverse. Okay. <laughs> if your stomach is hurting, so, you know, a high-level athlete can kind of eat whatever they want, but is it really going to get them to that next level if those foods at some level are creating some sensitivities or inflammation in the body? Because at that level, you want to keep inflammation down as much as you can, because if they're really competing that hard, they're constantly inflaming their body because they're pushing the joints to all these new levels. So if they're eating, let's say they're having a hamburger and they have a little bit of a gluten sensitivity, and then there's also yeast in there. Yeast potentiates the action of that slight information that they were getting from the gluten. So now they actually have big inflammation going on in the gut. Mm. That inflammation in the gut releases histamine in response to the inflammatory cascade. That floats around in your body. That's going to go and target Earlier, they were working out and they kind of sprained their back a little bit, but it wasn't that bad. But now it's creating more inflammation uh, in the back. So now they've actually got more of a back problem than they really had because those inflammatory foods were exciting and creating more inflammation. So that's why I was saying really getting under control what kind of nutrition, if if people really stay re- away from inflammatory foods, like I have a keto diet program I put people on, they can, you know, they'll lose the weight really quickly, but unless they stay away from inflammatory foods, they can kind of put the weight on quickly. If I stay away from my inflammatory foods, I can pretty much eat whatever I want and not gain weight. But if I have two pieces of bread 
three days in a row, I'm up eight pounds. Wow. Which is kind of crazy, but that's yeah. my inflammatory rate. So other people have that to varying degrees, but then it's it's not just about weight gain. It's about inflammation and how that affects the immune system. And so we don't need to constantly be taxing our immune system when we have to deal with the stress of life just normally. Right. And, but is the keto diet, is that different for everybody? Because I, I, I read something about tomatoes inflame your joints as well. And... Well, there's so many versions of the keto oh, diet. Okay. So... It's kind of a generic name. I, I've been doing it for more than 10 years. Um, right now, I'm working with a program. It's called Ideal Protein, which just makes it a simple way to do the keto diet. Uh, and people don't have to work out while they're doing it. Actually, they lose weight quicker. What you're talking about, like tomatoes, potatoes, um, um, what's that purple one? <laughs> Mm. eggplant, goji berries. Those are all nightshade vegetables. So some people have more of a reaction to nightshade vegetables and nightshade vegetables can, that um, chemical in there can cause some inflammation in the body. So it just depends on the person. Really. Okay. Okay. And what about for different athletes? I know you, you've worked with MMA uh, fighters, but is it a different approach to what sport you're in? It is and it isn't. Uh, basically, you want to make sure everything's working properly. So that my my first session with people, I go through, on average, 40 muscle tests. And that's for the average, normal, regular person who's not a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes down to a professional athlete, then I have to look at what sport they're more actively using those muscles so I can fine tune what kind of muscle tests I'm doing on them and doing more of the advanced reactive muscle testing that I wouldn't normally do on the average person because it's it's really not that necessary. But when you're that finely tuned, just the littlest thing can throw off your game. Mm-hmm. And when you say holistic, you're a holistic chiropractor, what does that can you break that down for me? What does that mean? So holistic is just looking at the body as a whole. Okay. Everything together. So that's why when we talk about that triad of health, that's a holistic model. Okay. Because you're looking at the physical, the chemical, and the emotional. So that's the whole person. Okay. And you can throw in spiritual mm-hmm. on top of that. So when you when you approach an athlete or a client um, and based off of what they do is it's not a one size fits all type of approach definitely not yeah 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 so unfortunately you know there's there might be the typical chiropractor that does the same kind of adjustments every time you come in okay got that yeah that's not what i do um, I don't see people three times a week, you know, and do the same adjustments every week. And that model may work really well for somebody who just had a car accident because they just need the mobility. So it may work with like 80% of the population, but I'm working with more of the other 10% of the population that that's not going to really work for. Uh, so I have to go into a lot more in depth and it, it, it is very personal exactly what we're going to do with people like sometimes i might pull out chakra discs to work on somebody's chakras 
because their acupuncture system is thrown off. And rather than me going and using a acupuncture laser on all those points, I find that if I pump up their chakra system, that it clears out their meridian. So it's a much faster way for me to clear like a huge part of the system. Wow. That's interesting. And, uh, like I have some patients who, you know, celebrities that, you know, have to travel and fly a lot and they'll come in just to do the chakras because it keeps them from having jet lag. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, you know, I, I kind of question everything, but mm-hmm. then I use muscle testing to validate. So when, if I didn't do muscle testing, I probably would never have done this chakra energy stuff. It's like, wow, how can colors really affect the body? Mm-hmm. But they really do. Sound affects the body. You know, like when you're listening to a song and you get emotional, it's it, that's actually creating now a whole chemical cascade in your body. Right. And those sound waves are going through your body and... Influencing you, yeah. affecting you. So, Dr. Best, uh, how can people get a hold of you and find out more about what you do? Uh, well, I have a website, drkenbest.com. I'm also on Instagram at drkenbest. Um, and I'm on uh, Facebook at Best Chiropractor. You also deal with people with concussions. Can you talk about that and what that process is about? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting because... Um, I had kind of a famous director that to work on who had post-concussion syndrome and had a really hard time with it. Uh, you get to the point where you can actually maybe com- become suicidal because you never know if this is going to stop and how you deal with that. Um, and then all of a sudden I had several other patients who had like multiple like car accidents or something at the same time. Same thing like with a football player who ends up with multiple concussions from that. I personally had my own little concussion going to one of the amusement parks because yes. I, I didn't pay attention to the sign. It said, keep your head back. My head was forward oh. and, and the thing like punched me back and forth in the side of the head. And then I thought, oh, okay, I'm okay. And then I, I got past the nausea and then I went on another ride and then my vision went offline. It went, really? And I was like, oh, this is not good. Wow. And my, my niece was with me and she's a nurse and she's like, Kenny, um, you have a concussion. <laughs> so, and it was interesting because I would go to like Disneyland, which has like, you know, really basic rides. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't get sick or something like that. It made me much more susceptible to having reactions after that. I actually had to go and clear my own kind of post-concussion syndrome from that. Really? But so I use muscle testing. We do therapy localization. We're using, I'll usually use a leg muscle. We'll touch at the base of the skull on the right and left side, which is the cerebellum. And usually if somebody's had a concussion, they'll go weak on one side or sometimes both sides. So it tells me there's some sort of deficiency, some sort of irritation in the nervous system because touching the back of the head should not make somebody go weak, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Like this MMA fighter, his upper neck was out. And when I would, you know, I could put my whole body weight muscle testing him and he wouldn't go weak stick out his tongue to the right, one finger, his leg went down and he was like laughing about it. It's like, oh my God, how's that possible? But that's just how integrated the nervous system is. And you take somebody that strong and you can actually see the effects pretty quickly. So 
after finding one of the cerebellums being weak, I can use a cold laser, which helps reduce pain and inflammation. So basically, we're looking at there's inflammation going on in the brain. Mm-hmm. So we can reduce that inflammation and then go back and retest, and then that muscle weakness goes away. The thing that's weird about post-concussion syndrome is, like, usually I can treat somebody once or twice for something, and that stays turned on. But when it comes to the brain, it's kind of neuroplastic, so it sort of finds other ways to find that weakness again. Mm -hmm. So it could take a few months. I, I think one guy took six months. And he wasn't bad the whole time. You know, mm-hmm. basically after a month, he was pretty good. But then he'd go fly on an airplane and that would trigger the symptoms again. So we'd have to go in and break that again. So it's it's a pretty complicated issue when it comes to post-concussion. But mm-hmm. it's also they don't have a lot of, you know, therapies out there for it. So when you say cold laser therapy, there there's something that I read I don't I'm not sure what the name of it is, but you're put in a chamber that's really cold. No, no, no. You're thinking of cryotherapy. Yes. Yes. So what's what's the difference? Uh, Cryotherapy. I forget what the temperature is. Is like 120 below zero or something silly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They put you in this little booth with muffs on your ears. And it it was pretty. I did it myself. And um Surprisingly, I didn't think it was all that cold. The problem I had was actually breathing at first because I was like, I can't breathe. So I got a little claustrophobic for a second. I was like, okay, you can breathe. Just take time and really breathe. Um, So that's kind of shocking the nervous system. So we're stimulating the nervous system, the blood flow, and that helps healing. So that's the point of the cryotherapy. Okay. Cold laser therapy, there's a lot of different types of cold laser out there. Like I have one that's only a five milliwatt, but it has programmed frequencies. So we can put in different frequencies of the body, like frequencies around pain, or like I've worked with people with tinnitus. I can put in uh, programming for the tinnitus and actually clear tinnitus. Wow. Um, When did this technology come about? (laughs) (laughs) Because a lot of people are, you know, having surgeries and stuff to... Yeah, well, the cold laser has been around for probably a good 15 years okay. that I know of. Uh, so I'm just not in the know. Well, they're, they're expensive. <laughs> That's why you're here. Like okay. like that basic 5 milliwatt one is was uh, $15,000. Wow. So it's kind of like making that investment and knowing what to do with it. Like with muscle testing, I can zone in exactly where it needs to go. Okay. So we're not wasting time. And the body also sometimes needs that specificity. Like if you just laser general, mm-hmm. like the body might not respond to it. Like Got you it. really need to put it where it needs, where the body wants it. But isn't it true? Like, let's say your knee is hurting, hurting or, and so it's more of, well, what's, what's hurting up here that's causing your knee to hurt? Isn't it? Is it? So if something's hurting on you, there has to be a cause that's taking your body alignment out of shape. So if you might be fixing a muscle up on your hip and therefore the pain goes away in your knee. Right. So if somebody comes in with knee pain, I'm going to check all the muscles related to the ankle and all the muscles related to the knee and all the muscles related to the hip. So we're checking above and below the joint. okay. Because any imbalance can affect 
that middle joint. Okay. So if you like, if your ankle's out, you can end up having knee problems. If your hip is out, you can end up having knee problems. Or it could just be the muscles around the knee need to be facilitated. Um, usually I can get people, like I've had patients that were told they needed knee surgery or shoulder mm -hmm. surgery. And just by turning things back on, you know, they're out of pain. They don't need the surgery. If a joint is completely destroyed, like I don't know why, but so many people are having hip replacements now. Yes. And it, it's kind of weird. Like I was on set uh, working on 24 and one of the guys was only like 32, but working on concrete all day, he needed to have a hip replacement. Wow. Um, so if it comes down to where the joint is so destroyed, I mean, turning on the muscles and everything is not going to make that big of a difference. It mm -hmm. may get them a little bit out of pain, but at that point, they really need surgery. So there's definitely a place and time for it, but a lot of times we can prolong when they need that surgery because I have a lot of doctors who send me their, their patients before hip surgery. Like, they're not at the level yet. They're going to need it within a year or two, but let's see how much pain we can get them out of until they're at the point where they really need the surgery. Now... You wrote this book, uh, 11 Best Ways to Face Life's Challenges. Uh, this is the second edition, Ken Best. Uh, where can we find this? It's on Amazon. Okay. So also within this, I know um, you, you talk about pain a lot. And a lot of people are in extreme pain on a daily basis, but go through a process where they deal with the pain do you talk about that in your book, 11 Best Ways to Face Life Challenges? Well, it's not directly in this book. I it, This I was telling you earlier, this is kind of a prequel of a, a larger book that I've done that's about three times that size, which gets a little bit more into that whole pain factor and how to modulate that. But definitely when you look at some of the techniques in there, it's the break patterns and pain is a pattern and the way we think about pain is a pattern. So these are pattern interrupts. It's it's a way for our body to shift out of that mode and be more present. Because okay. sometimes what happens is we make more misery out of our own suffering. <laughs> yes. Like you were telling me about that gentleman who is in so much pain, he has to kind of laugh through it. Yes. And that's kind of like, in a way, trying to take away some of the misery and suffering so that he can, you know, exist and, and move through life. So uh, these techniques really are about getting you more present in the moment mm -hmm. because the moment is actually where joy exists. It doesn't exist in the past or the future. It's right here, right now. Mm -hmm. But we are so often in our head, yeah. worried about the past, worried about the future, that we can't actually experience happiness. So we look for things to make us happy. We look for that new car jewelry or something to get us in the moment for a second so we can be happy. Mm -hmm. But it's usually fleeting because then we start worrying about like, how am I going to pay for that new car? Oh, it got scratched in the parking lot. So we start diminishing our happiness right away again. And that's, you know, uh, I think it was Aristotle said the aim of whole life was about happiness. Mm -hmm. And if that's their aim about, if that's our aim, really just to be happy, then we just need to learn to be more present. Well, well how, 
how do you go about doing that when you've been maybe programmed for 42 years of your life too? <laughs> you know, cause some, some people are raised with, Oh, if I worry that sh- I'm showing you that I care for you, you know what I, what I mean? Right. Which, which is a false sense of yeah. uh, compassion. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, I'm actually putting together a reality show because I, I wanted to put it out there so that people could see how much their beliefs, how they're integrated these belief systems are in their life, how to find them themselves and how to change them. So it could empower a lot more people to take more control over where they're going in their life. Um, but really, do we have that control? Once you become aware, we do. So I know that sounds uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like to, to do any of these techniques, there has to become a certain amount of self-awareness. Okay. Like there's a trigger technique. So I used to be easily triggered by an ex, mm-hmm. right? They would say one sentence and I would be in a fury. And in my mind, I was like, why am I so crazy? Why am I so, why am I so angry? And you're almost mad that they could trigger you to get that mad, yes. you know, which makes you more mad. So it's like, how do I get out of this? <laughs> I I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so um, I developed this trigger technique and it worked so well. And then I was being, an uh, ex had triggered me and was like, oh, do your thing. I was like, oh, God, I hate when people know my stuff. (laughs) So I sat there, closed my eyes, did my technique. It took like 15 seconds. I went from like a full-on rage because the triggers actually create a chemical cascade. So you're not just mentally angry. You're chemically angry. Yes. Like you're shaking. You can't, And you're like, you you know you're being kind of stupid, but you can't (laughs) stop yourself. So... I did this technique and 15 seconds later, I didn't even open my eyes yet. And they said, oh, that's better, which would have maybe made me a little upset, but it actually made me laugh because I was like, wow, I've just completely changed my mood in 15 seconds. Something that would have like ruined the rest of my day. Like mm-hmm. I would have been stuck on it. It was so simple to to break that thing. But if I wasn't aware or they didn't make me aware of, hey, do your thing. Mm-hmm. So like I gave this to couples one time. She's like, I think we're going to break up. They were engaged. It's like, couldn't work it out. They were triggering each other all the time. So she started doing this technique. Her her fiance at one point said, what are you doing? She's like, I'm breaking my triggers. And he's like, what? So she explained it to him. They started to both do it when they would get in an argument would, which would chill the emotional, mm-hmm. like, upset so they could actually stop and talk and resolve things. And they completely healed the relationship just using one technique. Very interesting. I hear, I, I read in chapter number one, ways life became so difficult. How? How did my life become so difficult, Dr. Bess? <laughs> well, it's kind of like what you were talking about. It's like if we have 42 years of programming since we were a kid, we were, you know, told uh, don't don't have too much fun. You know, be quiet. You're, you're laughing too much. I mean, we're just expressing our joy as kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, parents don't mean it, but, you know, they don't want you making a bunch of noise at church, mm-hmm. you know, so... 
you start getting before the age of six or seven, you get a lot of these belief systems that get ingrained in us on a subconscious level. And ever since then, you're constantly working against them. And then we're basically, we're not born with an empty slate. So we have genetic programs. Uh, one of the best things was my neighbor. I was sitting outside another ex <clears throat> and, uh, She's like, why are you so upset? And I was like, she's like, they're just being a puppy dog. That's what you fell in love with. And I was like, wow, you're right. I fell Mm. in love with a puppy dog and I expect them to be something different. Ah, yeah. So what I do, this is like a really simple thing. Like if you have a partner or a relationship or somebody at work who drives you nuts and you figure out what type of animal that is, what, what they're being, when they're that way, you just say, Oh, they're just being a dragonfly. Oh, they're just being a French bulldog, you know? And then it, it, it diffuses because you realize that that's just their genetic programming. They can't actually stop the way they are because it's, you have to be really woke mm-hmm. <laughs> to recognize your genetic programming. And that's a little tougher to get into than just the subconscious programming. Yeah. What about those people that want to, what did I, I heard plant a mind virus in you to see how you respond to things. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> I, I think I'll stay away from mind viruses. I'll pull those out. <laughs> right, but it, it's it's a, a a thing where you're an, another person may be trying to see how you react to things, so they can get. A baseline of who you are. Well, that you know, we don't have. That's kind of where you're putting out things to test people. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to figure out your own boundaries or their boundaries. It may not necessarily be in the manipulation as mm-hmm. much as like I'm trying to find out what kind of animal you are. Are okay. you a lion? Are you a tiger? You know, right? Do I need to be afraid of you, or can you be my best friend? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be manipulation, but I would understand how people might also then use that to manipulate. But honestly, when it comes down to it, we have the choice. We have the choice to be triggered. Now, you may not know how to not be triggered, but like if you do this technique, you then have a choice to let that trigger affect you or not to let you affect you. So I came out with the book so I could give people the tools to self-empower themselves so Mm. people can't manipulate you. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, because, it, again, it's like some some people grow up. Well, okay, I could only speak for myself. So I grew up in a way where uh, I take people at face value and I, I welcome them in, welcome right. them in. But y- you can't do that with everybody. I had to learn how to do that or not not include everyone because not everybody has your best intentions. Yeah, and I was always over trusting of people, you know, like seeing people at face value and also just trying to be a good judge of character. Mm-hmm. Um, and giving people a certain amount of room to see, like, if I share this with you, what does happen? Can I trust you? So mm-hmm. that's, again, kind of testing at that other level. Is that a part of ways to get out of a rabbit hole or is that totally separate? 
That's totally separate. The The rabbit hole is really when you find yourself, because I would find myself in an hour having a conversation <laughs> about what just happened at lunch yesterday. Yes. You know, or, or making up a conversation that never even happened. And, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, what? Oh, I'm just wasting an hour, right? Yes, yes. So that's the rabbit hole, that dark tunnel that we go down. So I was driving my car one day. I had been doing this te- technique of changing belief systems. I changed thousands of belief systems on, my, on myself. I was driving my car. I had a couple crazy thoughts about something. And I was like, really? I should be enlightened at this point. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, how many beliefs do I have to change before my brain <laughs> stops this whole pattern? And so I, I yelled at my brain for a second. I said, stop. And it was quiet for a second. And I was like, wow, that's unusual. That doesn't happen. So the next thing came up was like, well, what do I want now? And then something popped up and I was like, wow, how can I create that? And then I took action. And then it was just like a very powerful moment. And I was like, wow, let's see how long I can keep that up. Mm-hmm. Like when I became a vegetarian, I was like, I did it for one week. And I was like, how long can I keep that up? 30 years later, I'm still a vegetarian. Wow. But so I... Kept up the technique. In the beginning, I was in that rabbit hole an hour, mm-hmm. then a half an hour, and then 20 minutes. And two weeks later, I felt a groove in my brain. Like, I didn't even have the thought yet, but I could feel I was going back oh. down there. And I was like, nope, not going there. And I, I visualized the rabbit hole on the floor, and I walked around it, and I sat on the couch. And I was like, my brain was so quiet. It was like I was meditating. And I was like, wow, this is... This is fantastic. It's like I'm meditating through life now. Yeah. After a year of doing the technique, I used to be able to get depressed at a drop of a hat. Not something I'm excited about, but it was, you know, I grew up that way with my back pain and all that sort of stuff. Everybody died, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. had enough tragedy for a lifetime. So, um, after a year of doing the technique, you know, the economy crashed when the back during the crash, I had some family members die, some stuff going on that would have maybe pulled me into a little bit of a depressed mode. Mm-hmm. And my brain was like, nope, can't go there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I can't even get depressed anymore. I was like, this is great. Yeah. I mean, that was a life changing thing for me. I mean, a lot of people suffer with depression and. I gave these techniques to a friend with um, schizophrenia. I just gave him two techniques, the rabbit hole and the expand technique. He was able to get through his wedding because he couldn't take crowds, you know. And after a year or two of doing the techniques, he burned out his uh, schizophrenia. Wow. And he had been on medication and everything. Wow. So something that's so simple if it's you know done consistently mm-hmm. and with intention, it can really make huge pattern shifts in the in the way we operate. So the the technique for those you're you're talking about the technique for like triggers, right? Mm-hmm. So you would have you would have him do what? So, well, that wasn't the particular person was oh. for triggers, but a, to break a trigger, say you say five words to me and then I'm like upset. That shouldn't really happen, right? Mm -hmm. We should be able to have a long conversation before somebody's getting upset. Mm -hmm. So I know in that moment I'm triggered. 
So you have to realize you're being triggered in the moment. Mm -hmm. You either have to do one of two things. You have to step away from the person, Mm -hmm. like go to the bathroom for a second. Or if you can just close your eyes, because you have to be able to close your eyes. So let's say I step away from the moment and I go to the bathroom and I close my eyes and I'm like really angry at this person. Well, I imagine that I'm the owner of this company and I'm up on the second floor. There's 10 steps to get down to the main floor. I have this big factory. It's out there producing all these chemicals to get me more angry. Like it's put in an order that triggers an order to the brain to do something. So as the owner of the company, I get on the microphone and I get on the microphone. I'm like, oh, cancel that order. Cancel, cancel, cancel. So I like in my mind, I'm like stamping that paper and I just spoke to the people. Then I watch that factory shut down. So the brain, real if you're good at visualization, the brain likes visual things. So mm-hmm. you don't have to know exactly what's happening, but you're you're giving the brain an idea of what you want it to do. You watch the factory shut down. Then I see my little minions going out with their little wet vacs, sucking up the chemicals that have already been going out there. Now it's my job to intentionally lower my level of, in this case, anger mm-hmm. enough to where I feel it drop one level. And I take a step downstairs. Then I have to do it again. And now I'm down on the eighth step. So eventually I get down to the bottom of the staircase. So 10 steps. And then at that bottom... I no longer have any anger and I can replace it with the feeling I want. Maybe happiness is a good idea mm-hmm. or some moment that brings you back to happiness. Then there's a little speaker at the bottom of the stairs. I take that speaker out. I get, okay, good job. It's done. It's done. It's done. So you're telling your subconscious you did what you wanted it to do in response to that trigger. So in other words, cancel that pathway. Mm-hmm. Once you break a trigger, I find if you do it once or twice for a specific trigger, mm-hmm. it doesn't come back. And you and you recognize when somebody's trying to trigger you, and all of a sudden nothing happens, and you're like, wow, oh, they can't trigger me. I am free. Yeah. It's, a, it's a huge self-empowerment moment. Now, with your work with athletes and their bodies and trying to get them to the next spot, um, in chapter five, you talk about ways to deal with fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you express that or, or help athletes that way as well? Or what, what do you do to deal with fear that someone may have? Usually with fear, I, I would be looking at an athlete prior to um, whatever event that they're going to mm-hmm. and actually talk about like, do you have any fears about something that's coming up? Do you have any questions or, or what's that look like? Or let's let's close your eyes and see yourself on the starting block or at the finish line. And let, hold that in your mind and let me muscle test you and see if you're strong and you're good with that or if it makes you go weak. Mm, okay. Um, the expand technique is also really good for not maybe not so much fear as much as anxiousness, mm. overwhelmed. I mean, like if you're on that starting block and you've got 10,000 people watching and you, you know, you've got all of that on the line. When we, when we contract in our mind, so two things happen in life, things either expand or they contract. Mm-hmm. So when we're contracting, 
we're just like stuck inside our own little body. We're feeling everything coursing through our veins. Mm -hmm. That maybe makes us more nervous and anxious. If we, in that moment, remind ourselves to expand, take in everything that's going on, feel all the runners around us, feel the guy with the gun that's going to start the race, being connected, even at, connected at such a different level that like you're on that starting line because you're so open and connected rather than shut off. Mm. When we shut off, we feel more anxious and fearful. When we're more expanded, we feel more joyful, more relaxed. Also, when we expand, the subconscious is allowed to engage and keep us safe or engage and do what we want it to do, which is like win that race rather than being like, Oh, I don't know if I have what it takes. My stomach's bothering me. My eye is my leg going to cramp, you know, getting into all this fear. Whereas we give it something else and you're just like a rocket. Right. Right. Have you noticed the mindset of like a competitive athlete, uh, different than any other patient you may have, Dr. Best? Oh, well, sure. I mean, athletes are really focused and dedicated. They have the drive. They have the, you know, the dedication. Um, does, that aid, does that aid in healing the body more or it doesn't? I, I would definitely say it does um, because their intention and their focus is is so much more there and they're willing to do what it takes to get there. Um, the only problem is if they're just kind of overlooking their needs of their body because they're pushing themselves because I, sometimes you think if I work harder, I'm going to be better and push some, through the pain. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, sometimes I see somebody who's overtrained, you know, they're so strong. You wouldn't think I'd be able to move a muscle at all. And then I take a pinky in it. It's like everything shut off. And like, it's because of overtraining. Everything's been overstretched, overworked. They're pretty quick at turning it all back on. Right, right. And uh, like I was working this one athlete, everything was turned off. We turned everything back on. Her next, you know, training run she was kind of a little freaked out. She's like, oh, my God, my legs felt like they were lead that day because because the body had to reintegrate everything. Right. And then but then she was so thrilled because the next day it was like like she was a rocket again. Wow. So that's amazing. How do you feel when you you see that happen? <laughs> like you're the ultimate healer, right? Um, it, It's definitely exciting for me because. Uh, I, I like to see how integrated the body is on so many different levels. Yeah. It's really fascinating. So I, when, if I didn't do what I would do, I, I'd be so bored. <laughs> I bet. But it, it's great that you can, you know, take your journey through life, through a broken back to where you are now you know, author and you're going to have your reality show and all that. And you're healing so many people for the betterment of our society. Well, I, I used to like to play in the small pond. You know, I, people like somebody was saying, oh, you're the best kept secret, you know, working on sets and stuff like that. So it was like, I, I had 
great exposure to, you know, people, uh, you know, celebrities and sports athletes and stuff. But I still like kind of playing like in a small pond where like people didn't know who I was. But I really think at this point with what's going on in the world, people need healing at a more global level. So that's why I wanted to come out with uh, finding a way to like do workshops or webinars and help people at home heal on emotional and physical levels. So again, Dr. Bess, how can we find out more about what you do and get your book and and be on alert for your next book that's coming out? Uh, you can find me on the web at drkenbest.com. That's drkenbest. And I'm on Instagram at Dr. Ken Best, and I'm on Facebook at Best Chiropractor, and the book's on Amazon, 11 Best Ways to Face Life's Challenges. How should we approach this coming week? (laughs) (laughs) Help me, Dr. Best, help me approach this week and face my life challenges. (laughs) I would start, I, I like starting off my week with nature. Just go outside and find a find a tree that you look at that you like or a plant that you like or some flowering plant that you like that just makes you kind of like smile for a second. But spend more than a second. Spend a few minutes just staring at it. Just not thinking about anything. Just staring at it. See how you feel about it. Let your feelings allow you to connect with it. Connect with nature to reconnect. I did this with a tree one time. I was just playing around with this meditation with the tree and I was just staring at it and felt really connected. And at some point I felt how the tree felt about me. I was like, wow, that's crazy. And then I started feeling how I felt about the tree feeling about me. And then I felt about how the tree felt about me feeling about it. It was this interesting energy going back and forth. And then, then I had this rush of bliss and joy that I rarely ever experience. Mm -hmm. It's one of those crazy moments. Uh, I was like, wow, that all came out of just reconnecting with nature. Wow. And it's, it's hard to do in LA, but (laughs) you know, you you need to do it. You need to get out and connect with nature. Yeah. The form of meditation. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Dr. Ken Best, again, uh, known as celebrity chiropractor and works with everyone, all the athletes, and uh, for more information, again, Dr. Ken DrKenBest.com. DrKenBest.com. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was great. I'm Laferne Cusack. This is ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710.